Welcome to the CX, AI, and Outsourcing Podcast, a show about the people, technology, and economics that are shaping the customer support industry. My name is John Walter, and today we have a conversation with Marbu Brown. He's the author of the book Blueprint for Customer Obsession and has experience working in customer experience roles at Chase, Amazon, Microsoft, and other organizations. I'm a big fan of his book, Blueprint for Customer Obsessions, and his work at the consulting firm he has founded, Customer Obsession Advantage. I really enjoyed this conversation as we dig into the intersection of CX and AI, and I hope you enjoy it also. Let's get started. Marbu Brown, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And John, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, on the program today. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Me too. Me too. So for some context to all listeners, Marbu has worked at Chase, Amazon, and Microsoft and lead customer experience roles. He's the founder of the consulting firm Customer Obsession Advantage. And he wrote a book, which I love, called Blueprint for Customer Obsession, where he evaluates 10 iconic brands that are known to have extraordinary customer service. And as I read the list of brands, you will resonate with that statement. It's Amazon, Apple, Chewy, Chick-fil-A, Costco, Disney, Ritz-Carlton, Southwest Airlines, Trader Joe's, and Zappos. That is the rock star list. And Marbu goes through the process of evaluating what are the common characteristics that these organizations share and identifies eight key characteristics that he explains helps to make them customer-obsessed organizations. And throughout the book, he provides anecdotal evidence to show how each of these companies meet these characteristics. And so it's a thrill to talk with you today because you're one of the people in my network who really loves customer experience and is diving in deep with AI. So I think we're going to have a rich conversation. But as a fan of your book, I have a question. The first question I have is, Marbu, what went into the process of writing this book? Did you Were you just gathering these thoughts over the years of your experience, kind of jotting them in a journal, and then you just compiled them at some later point in time? How did it come together from your mind into paper? Well, let me tell you that it is a compilation of experiences, but there was a point at which I had an epiphany about how the discussion about customer obsession differed from the understanding of it and differed from the reality of it. It's very easy to say customer obsession as a concept. But a lot of folks have very differing meanings about that, even though they're using the same words. And so one of the things that I sought to do was to distill it down to those differentiators that um, you'll find in these companies that really have a badge for customer obsession. And they're not necessarily characteristics of companies that are customer centric or customer focused, even though those companies may be uh, doing well from a customer experience perspective, but they haven't taken it to that next level. So that's what went into the writing of the book. And let me tell you one of the things that I'm super excited about is that uh, I've been working on putting together a measurement of customer obsession that's based on the differentiators that are identified in the book. And we've gotten some results from it. And man, does it really show that differentiation in a very quantitative type of way? So we've taken the next step to be able to demonstrate quantitatively, empirically, how these differentiators separate out these companies that are customer obsessed. 
I'd love to learn more about that. I saw on your LinkedIn profile, I think, that you had a degree in statistics. Did I dream that up or is that accurate? No, you didn't dream that up. I do have a master's in statistics as well as a master's in mathematics, um, both from <laughs> well, Ohio State University. <laughs> nice. All right. So I can imagine that this metric you're putting together is quite mathematic and less subjective. Well, it is less objective. I cut my teeth in the customer experience space, initially on the measurements side of things. And so I have a pretty uh, deep background in customer experience measurements to the point where I recall one time um, when I was working with a vendor and she said to me, Marbu, we are not used to our customers knowing this much about what we do. Um, so it, it is definitely something that is uh, empirically based. Very cool. I can't wait to see it. Is there a horizon for when you might start? Is it, is it public yet? Have you started putting it out there on LinkedIn? It's not public yet. We only have our preliminary results so far, but possibly we're going to roll this out in the fourth quarter. Very interesting. It's been on my mind a lot recently. I'm a big fan of Fred Reicheld and everything he's done with NPS over a period of now more than two decades. And it comes across that he does a great job of proving empirically that customer loyalty is the greatest single indicator of a company's long-term financial success. And he found that what is perhaps considered the best form of measuring customer loyalty to date has been the simple question of whether or not someone's willing to refer or recommend a product or service. And that's pretty remarkable that he's very insightful way of being able to measure and capture loyalty because a person typically does not refer or recommend something that they do not want to personally tie their identity and reputation to. And so it, it seems to be a pretty good measurement. But that was maybe 20 years ago. And now we're in the age of big data. And you have so many tools that can evaluate customer behavior. And you can look at all of your customers on a large scale. And you can say, okay, all of the customers that have this set of experiences tend to defect. But these that have other experiences tend to be more loyal. You can look at personality types. There's so many different things that go into it. And so I think this, there's a lot of room for innovation. Not, I'm not talking down about what has been a accomplished with NPS. I'm just saying it's there's time for to continue building upon the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. And that would be the way I would think about it, building on the uh, the shoulders of giants. And uh, in addition to the work that Fred has done, uh, Klaus Fornell with the American Customer Satisfaction Index has also done some, some similar work. And both of them have been able to demonstrate a relationship to how companies perform by putting out their investment indices that are based on results of these studies. They've done some great things, but let me tell you, stay tuned for the Customer Obsession Barometer because it's going to bring some things to the forefront that have not been brought before. So I'll leave it at that for now, but uh, hey, maybe we'll circle back and talk some more when it, when it comes out. So let's jump in. I want to, so of the eight characteristics in your book that you talk about, I think there are three that are highly relevant to the topic of artificial intelligence. And those three characteristics that these brands share that we want to cover today are engaging customers personally, second, delivering exceptionally, and third, connecting emotionally. And of course, there are subcategories within each of these headings in the book, a lot of examples for each of them from these brands in the book. But let's just talk real quick 
quick about engaging personally the use of AI and customer experience, how that is being used to drive more personalized experiences. Do you have any thoughts you want to throw out? Well, look, one of the things that I think is uh, most critical for companies, there are interactions that companies are having with their customers on an ongoing basis every single day. Those conversations may be in the normal course of doing transactions. Those conversations may be a customer reaching out to a contact center with an inquiry. Those conversations may be somebody chatting with an agent on a a chat conversation. Could be a bunch of different ways. But there's a ton of information that is gained through those interactions. The trouble that companies have had for a long time is how can they parse that information to get a pulse on what the customer's thinking and on what the customer's feeling, right? And with large language models now that are powering generative AI, it's made it possible to do a much better job of parsing that information. I mean, people have been getting after this notion of text analytics for a long time. But a lot of the time, when they want to parse this type of information, there's like a lot of labor-intensive training of models and all of those kinds of things that has to precede that. And so it hasn't made it as attractive. But with large language models, we're going to begin to get into a realm where you don't have to do as much of that training beforehand, right? These systems would be able to take a bunch of data, parse it, extract themes from it, extract sentiment from it, extract all of those kinds of things without a bunch of training. And then that's going to enable companies to get a pulse on, for example, these conversations they've been having with their customers. Is there a brewing threat that the company needs to pay attention to? Are these conversations weighted more towards the positive end or are they weighted more towards the negative end? These are the kinds of things that companies are going to be able to do. Customers might be expressing their wish list in these conversations. And if the same item keeps coming up on people's wish lists, that might be a trigger for the company to go innovate on something that they were not even thinking about before. But the key to this is you got to be able to parse this effectively. And that's one of the things that AI is going to make possible for these companies that has not been as easily accessible before. Such a great point. So many people look at ChatGPT, which is the world's greatest example of a large language model that everyone's most familiar with, what the type of output that it can produce. And they are rightfully amazed at the output. But I think what is underappreciated sometimes is the ability it gives to machines to comprehend communication. It's the, um, you know, I've been talking to people who are designing chatbots. And they are talking about in the past how difficult it was to try and design all of these conversations one step at a time. It's like looking like it's like a tree diagram. And now with large language models, they're simply able to have a bank of answers, of appropriate answers. And the large language model is able to comprehend what the customer is asking, infer what the best pre-written response is, which is fascinating, which is a unique approach to chatbot design because you kind of bypass that issue of hallucination because all the outputs are pre-written, but you're, you're allowing the what you're describing, these remarkable ability to sort through and understand and make inference to choose the best canned response. But in this context, you're saying, you know, it's in a 
totally right. The immense amounts of data that come out and the ability for these machines to come through and just to, you know, you can have some prompts written saying, hey, let me know if you ever see anything that meets these certain criteria that might be red flags. And it can start to, you know, pick up on things that previously was not even possible. But, you know, um, John, let me also point out that there's been a lot of scenarios where we've been using AI already and we haven't necessarily been aware of using AI. And then what's happening with these generative models is that it's taking some of the cases where we've already been using AI and it's taking them to another level. So one of the examples that I've used is um, Apple CarPlay, right? And for folks who use Apple CarPlay, you get in your car and somehow the, your car seems to know where you're going. If you tend to go to the gym in the morning, you get in the car, you plug in your phone, it pops up the directions for the gym because it kind of knows that you go to the gym. If you leave the gym and you stop somewhere on the way home, then it tends to know that you stop at this place. So when you get in the car and you're leaving the gym, it kind of pops up what you usually do when you're leaving. These things are learning, right? Obviously, it's paying attention to what you're doing and it's figuring how to use that subsequently. I mean, it's even smart enough to know that maybe on certain days you do this thing, but on other days you do that thing. And so you go to these different places and the large language models are making even those kinds of processes smarter. I mean, if you think about Alexa and Alexa being able to understand you when you talk and you make a request. So maybe you're you want to order something from Amazon that you ordered might have been a year or two ago, but it can listen to your request, go and find that item and start asking you questions about it. There's an element of, of artificial intelligence that's all involved in that. I just want us to keep in mind that some of the things that uh, we've really begun to get aware of and psyched about and all of those kinds of things, some of them we've already been using, not even realizing that there's machine learning underlying a number of these, not, not just machine learning, but artificial intelligence underlying some of these things already. And these new large language-based models are helping us to take them to a whole nother level. Very good points. Yes. Another example of this widespread AI usage in the customer support context prior to chat GPT blowing everyone's mind is the predictive behavioral routing, which is very interesting in the call center context. Very interesting where they are matching customers with agents who have similar personality types. And they've been doing that, I mean, on a widespread scale since 2019. Well, I was about to say that I had uh, worked with a company, been absorbed by another one now, but it was called Mattersight that was doing this type of work even prior to, to 2017, doing that type of uh, behavioral matching to get better outcomes on calls by matching people with similar uh, personality ca characteristics, right? So, yep. What I imagine happening going forward, and it's kind of scary, honestly, is that there's going to be a combination of personality data that's gathered on the call pretty quickly, like really quickly. I mean, I've heard reports of some companies being able to determine with pretty high probability the personality type of a caller simply through the interaction with the IVR, <laughs> which is pretty remarkable. 
And that's new. That's a very new development. I don't even think it's like fully implemented. I think traditionally these types of technologies require a full conversation or at least like a few minutes of a conversation and then they'll tag a customer and then come back. They're booked with a personality type going forward. And so maybe the first call that comes in, they're kind of given to uh, the most neutral personality type and then they can distinguish going forward. What I believe is going to happen is that additional data is is going to get pulled together, right? So customers have all of this information about themselves on the internet. You have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have Twitter, you have LinkedIn. It's impossible for a human customer support agent to be nimble enough to take all of this facts into their mind at one time and then also to understand the tone of voice and how they're behaving and try to change their own personality to match them. Humans can't do that, but an AI system can. And I, I truly believe that over time, these machines will become better at giving personalized experiences to humans. And I've been hearing demos. I've been hearing demos that you, you can't really tell a difference between whether it's a human or AI. This raises a whole bunch of ethical questions, but it's a very interesting time we're living in. I will tell you that um, companies that I have worked with that are are using, you know, chatbots or some sort of a mechanized system to deliver responses to customers' inquiries are very upfront about the fact that this person may be communicating with a chatbot or machine or whatever. Now, the place where this works the best is where the machine can make a warm transfer to a live agent and that live agent can actually accomplish some things and maybe even transfer back to the machine and all have that done seamlessly so that from the customer's perspective, it's an amazing experience, right? And again, these are the kinds of things that AI is going to take to another level because right now, some of those kinds of transitions, they're clunky. Some of them are not being made at the right points in time. One of the worst things that can happen is when somebody gets into a loop with a chatbot and they're trying to solve a problem and it's looping them around and they're not getting to the answer and they're becoming more and more frustrated, right? In an AI-enabled world, the chatbot would be able to recognize terms and stuff like that that indicate frustration, that indicate urgency, that indicate different sorts of things that would say transfer this to a live agent right away. So these are some of the kinds of things that, uh, you know, would make for better experiences when AI is applied, right? So there's plenty of opportunity. The question is, how do we make the most of that opportunity, right? A question I have that I've been wondering recently, I'd love your thoughts on, is how about gathering information from a customer to provide a more customized and tailored personalized experience without being creepy. And you give some good examples of brands, you know, hotels, learning from a prior customer experience and logging that information. So on their next stay at that same hotel, their, you know, their favorite preferences are already met and it just blows the customer's mind. I mean, that's just a very thoughtful process, but that is information that is gathered about the customer in a very natural and transactional manner. Nothing creeper. By observation. Observation. Um, By observation, by paying close attention. Sometimes when somebody thinks you're not paying close attention or, or really thinks that you could care less, they might be saying something, but think that you could care less. Let me give you an example. It's it's not quite what we're talking about, but it's similar. I was on a flight one time and um, the flight attendant came by, you know, was serving 
uh, drinks and uh, I asked for tea and she said, would you like um, cream and sugar with that? And I said, no, but um, I'll tell you what I'd like in the hopes maybe one of these days when I get on another flight, I'd be able to get it. And I said, I would like honey with my tea. And she looked at me and she says, oh, you want honey with your tea? She says, you need to be in a different class of service to get that. <laughs> then she said, uh, but you know what? Let me see what I can do. And she had already poured out my tea. So she said, can I have that back? Because when I get back, it's going to be cold and that just won't do. So she goes away and I think that, you know, she's going to come back and pour me another cup of tea in the, the styrofoam cup or whatever it is and, and give me a packet of honey. And, you know, both my wife and I were drinking tea. So she comes back. She brings us ceramic mugs with, uh, you know, like glass jars of honey. And you almost sit there and say to yourself, so what did I do to deserve this? I just asked for honey. You know what I'm saying? Wow. But, you know, you have a scenario yeah. like that and you think somebody was paying attention in a way that was different. Well, think about that first area that we're talking about, being able to parse information from all of these contacts and interactions that we have with customers. There's a wealth of information in those contacts that will give you visibility into things that those customers care about. And so if you're able to capture that and store it, then reuse it when customers get in touch with the business, that would create an amazing experience for those customers. And so when you think about like one of the things that um, AI will be used to do is to provide co-pilots to agents who are dealing with customers. So you might have a live agent and they have co-pilots that are helping them to solve the customer's problem and that's suggesting different things that they could add into their conversation with the customer. Well, now you've parsed this information from all these prior contacts and whatnot, and then they can use that to make that a more amazing experience with the customer. And as you might imagine, that example that I just gave you, it creates an emotional connection. And every time you do that sort of stuff, it's going to create an emotional connection. It's going to create a wow moment for the customer. These are some ways that AI can be used to help facilitate that sort of process. Those are great examples. You know, where my mind was going is maybe imagine an AI system that is taking all the information on a customer off of social media and making a personalization or customization. So you say you, you went to the Ohio State University and that information is on your LinkedIn profile, I assume. And so imagine you are checking into a hotel and there's an Ohio State sticker on, next to the chocolate on your pillow. Is there a point where brands need to be careful when it comes to taking, or, or let's say even that might be a bad example. Let's just say if it's, you're on a phone call and an agent says, well, what is it that Ohio State fans say? Is it go Buckeyes? Is That's that right. It? That's right. Hey, by the way, go Buckeyes. Cause he's trying to like build camaraderie, but you're kind of like, whoa, whoa, are, are you spying on me? Or, you know. Well, look, let me say this. That's not necessarily in the realm of creepy. Okay, but there are things that are in the realm of creepy. Have you ever been having a conversation and your, your watch or your phone started talking to you? <laughs> um, <laughs> then that's creepy, right? Yes. You're, you're having a conversation with somebody and your, your watch starts talking back to you and you say, you know what, I wasn't talking to you. That feels creepy. Look, there was a brand that was using information of a certain type to figure out things about people. I think this is actually a pretty well-known example, but I'm not going to name the brand. But they started sending um, things. I think it might have been a teenage girl 
that would be for somebody who was expecting a baby. Mm. Okay. And, you know, her father got really upset and said, how dare you send this stuff here? Well, it turns out she was expecting a baby. Okay. Wow. So that was in the realm of creepy. And so they had to dial that back. But they were using certain types of information based on things that people did and, you know, interactions that they had in the store to be able to figure that out. All right. So, yes, there is a line that people can cross that it gets into the realm of creepy. You don't want to go there. But there's a lot of things that customers will appreciate, things that they've maybe asked for in passing. And you know they want that. And they may have asked for it in passing, but you can come back and deliver on that. So give you a different example. A customer service associate was having a conversation with a customer about shoes. But that customer mentioned how she was having trouble with her shoes because, you know, her feet were swollen because she was expecting. And so just as a care package, the agent sent out like a little care package with baby clothes. Now, that was something that customer appreciated. Which is a whole different scenario than the other one that I described. Yes. So there's a a number of uh, scenarios where you can tell what the difference is. And, you know, if companies are really in tone and paying attention, they can use AI to their advantage to help them to utilize those wow moments where they're making an emotional connection with customers. That is so good. That's a great example to give that dichotomy between those two examples where they both involve a similar situation. There is a a female customer who is expecting a child and the brand is reaching out with that knowledge in both circumstances. In one instance, it's a catastrophic failure and in the other, it's a success. And to try to look at what are the distinctions between those. So that'd that'd make a good topic in an article on the topic of obtaining and using customer information for personalization and maybe something on establishing best practices on that topic. Well, Marbu, thank you so much for taking the time today. And we've, we've been talking for over 30 minutes. I want to respect, respect your time. And we've only scratched the surface of the outline we had to talk. We hit the first bullet point, <laughs> the first of maybe five. And so, so maybe we'll have an opportunity in the future to pick up this conversation. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk. If anyone has any questions for you or they want to reach out, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, look, easy way for people to reach me is on LinkedIn, uh, Marbu Brown. There's not two of them out there. And my first name, since many people don't know it, is spelled M-A-R-B-U-E, Marbu Brown, like the color. They can reach me on, on LinkedIn. But also, my company website is customerobsession.net. And that would be a great way to connect with me. And frankly, you can get to all of my uh, social profiles from Customer Obsession. You can learn lots more about me there too. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And I'll include a link to both the website and to your LinkedIn profile in the show description. And again, thank you so much, Marbu. We'll, we'll be in contact. Absolutely. Thank you much, John. It's been a pleasure to be on the program with you and uh, look forward to continuing our conversation. Special thanks to Marbu Brown for taking the time to be on the show. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach out to Marbu, I have included a link to his LinkedIn profile in the show description, along with a link to his book on Amazon. It's Blueprint for Customer Obsession. I'm a big fan of it, and I encourage you to pick up a copy if you're into reading content on the customer experience topic. Anyhow, hope you're having a great week, and I'll see you next time.